Oh, good morning, Storyline. That, by the way, kids, was Seinfeld, okay? Um, it's so good to be together. And I just have to mention this this morning. Besides our band, can we just hear a hand for them? This is so good. So, so lucky. So good. I have to mention this this morning, that our, our Sunday mornings together are a real team effort. It's, it's just amazing. By the time most of us arrive, our volunteers have kind of just melted into the gathering. But if you were to come early, you would find that we have dozens of people that are working so hard to put this together every, every Sunday. So our gatherings, like all of the best parts of life, are a team sport. From start to finish, top to bottom, beginning to end. So please join me in thanking those folks, all the folks that work so hard to, to do this every Sunday. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Without our volunteers, this couldn't happen. Uh, and if you ever want to be a part of that, please just let us know. You can drop a card in the giving box or talk to me or Jen or anyone that you um, recognize from on stage. We would love to have you um, get involved in, in one of the many ways that we all come together to put this together on Sundays. So um, as much as I love being a part of our gathering team, I think my favorite role in our community is meeting with people. And I get to do that every week, quite often. And it's been like the best education that anyone could ever have. This community is full of brilliant people with beautiful souls who are truly longing to live life to the fullest. And it's, it's really just incredibly inspiring and, and the, one of the greatest honors of my life to meet with folks. And so um, thank you for that. And yet, we all know that we still yearn. And we all do that. We yearn. You know, finding that sweet spot in life is very difficult. In fact, it's beyond difficult because if, it isn't just a question of effort. Finding that sweet spot in life is also complicated. And there are all kinds of forces in life like arrayed against us in our effort to really flourish in life. Things beyond our control like the economy or, or social, cultural political realities, or if you're like me, especially this time of year, even the weather can be a real challenge. And, and that can be a very real thing for people. And yet, I think most of us will admit that our biggest problem, our largest obstacle, our most complicated challenge in our lives is usually, not always, but it's usually staring us right in the face every morning when we brush our teeth, right? I mean, at one point or another, when I meet with people, the wisest, the most mature, the ones who inspire me the most seem to land in this place. They, they know they've been battered by life, they've been wounded by others, they've been maybe victims of bad luck or timing, but they are willing to acknowledge, even with all of that, that the ball is now in their court. And the issue is, will we get out of our own way? Can we turn a setback into a setup for a better future. And this is something that Jesus, I think, often pointed out, that yes, life is difficult, it's hard, it's complicated, it's painful, it can be tragic. And yet there is this unpleasant truth about ourselves. All too often, when those things happen around us, we manage to somehow make things worse and not better. And there are a lot of ways to describe the predicament that we're in. Um, and some of these we've, maybe you've heard of, like human beings are fallen, 
A literary figure might describe it as human nature is tragic. Theologians often use the word like a sinful nature. My personal preference is to think of it this way. We struggle with disordered loves. We struggle with disordered loves. It seems to me that the Bible and Jesus present us with this paradox, this dichotomy, if you will. Uh, on the one hand, human beings are, the, are very good. The Bible is clear about that. We're the pinnacle of creation. We're the point of all of creation. And we're made in the very image of God. And then on the other hand, we have a serious issue, which is, our loves are disordered. And I say it that way, and I resonate with that way of saying it, because I think very few of us actually love bad. Actually love the bad in life. Too often, the complication in our life is that our priorities are off. The good things that we love, we love out of order. And when something is out of order, it just it means... We know this in real life. It, it just isn't working. It isn't functioning properly. So Jesus' first followers, in fact, were, they were so in touch with this way of looking at life that unlike later generations who created a religion around Jesus, they simply called following Jesus the way. That's how they thought of it, the way. To follow Jesus, to be devoted to Jesus, to believe in Jesus was to adopt a way of living life, a way of seeing life, a way of seeing ourselves. And these ways, or you might call them practices, were adopted, were adapted from the life of Jesus in, in order to get our loves in order. And therefore, our lives back in order. Like functioning the way our lives were meant to function. So over the next month or so, we're going to do something that I'm super excited about. We're going to be taking a look at some of these specific practices or ways, or sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines. Um, and we're going to be taking a look at these the next month or so in the hope that some of us might resonate with some of, uh, these might resonate with some of us, and we might take on some of these practices, not just in order to make the way of Jesus our way of life, because that really isn't the goal. The goal is to live the life we were created for. To live the life we were created for, where life works, where it functions properly. To be and to do, love and to live as we were meant to. So this morning is just an introductory talk for the talks that are coming after this about how making the way of Jesus a way of life leads from a life where too often the joke is on us, a life of like these vague yearnings of our hearts that are out of order into a life that we've always wanted. Now, some of us um, will remember years ago the WWJD movement. Um, it's, uh, they were bumper stickers, there were bracelets and necklaces and billboards along the highway, WWJD. It stood for, what would Jesus do? And I actually have a lot of sympathy for this idea. I appreciated that it elevated believing in Jesus or faith in Jesus or being religious or whatever, however people might put it, from this something that we just passively assent to, 
or a theology that we agree with or doctrines that we ascribe to into a practical implications of those beliefs, as in changing it, it what it is that we do in life. The, the marketing campaign, is, that marketing campaign is long gone, and now there is another. And I don't, maybe some of you have noticed this. In fact, last week was our commercial Sunday, which, by the way, has now become this deal. It's such a huge deal that millions of people around the country throw these huge parties on our commercial Sunday every year. Lakeshore High School, by, Lakeshore Schools, by the way, took last Monday off because it was the day after our commercial Sunday. And now the NFL even plays their last game of the year on our commercial Sunday. So it's really blowing up. It's like this huge thing, right? And so uh, last Sunday on Commercial Sunday, Jolene and Andrew and Gabrielle did a great job of sharing their favorite commercial and how it speaks to them and impacts their life of faith. Uh, and this was my favorite commercial that aired during um, this year's Super Bowl. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? In what you believe Cause I'm only human week i thought it was really cool he gets us is kind of the new what would jesus do and i appreciate the intentions behind both of these so much and yet they leave me with the same question you see what would jesus do assumes something that isn't true and at least it isn't true for me. I'll let you be the judge for yourself about you. It assumes that the reason that I don't do what Jesus did is because I forgot to think about it. And if I just had a bracelet, you know, like my, or now my watch would just remind me, hey, Mike, do what Jesus did, right? Um, and then bingo, yeah, of course, I'll just live that way, like magically. I will do what Jesus did in every situation. Please just remind me with the billboard. But that breaks down very quickly in the real world. And believe me, I know because I really tried this idea seriously years ago when it came out. And I ran into this big problem. And the big problem was me. I was the big problem. And the first time it dawned on me like why this wasn't working for me, I was actually golfing with a buddy. And he loved to tease me about my WWJD bracelet. And it was all in good fun, but let's just say he was skeptical, okay? So um, we're golfing, and I'm, I'm not very good, and I drive the ball into a sand trap. 
It's called the fairway bunker for the golf nerds. And so I'm still 200 yards away from where I'm supposed to be. And I'm in the middle of a desert, basically. And as he's walking by me up to his ball, which is in the fairway way further up, he kind of looks over at me and just kind of quips, hey, hey, Mike, what would Tiger do? <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, boy. And it, that's when it clicked for me. Because I wasn't going like, yes, that's it. All I need is a WWTD bracelet. Like, what would Tiger do in this situation? Well, he's 200 yards out in a fairway trap, um, you know, with the wind blowing this direction and the green that shape. He'd hit a six iron from left to right. Make sure and get it below the hole so he can get up and down for a birdie. It's as easy as that, right? Of course, you see the problem right away, right? The problem in this scenario is not forgetting to ask the question, what would Tiger do? The problem is, I'm not able to do what Tiger can do on a golf course. And the same is true for life generally and what Jesus could do. I lack the ability. I lack the ability. And the issue with he gets us is kind of similar. Again, I appreciate the intention. I'm glad WWJD happened, and I'm glad that he gets us is out there. I think it's good stuff. But the, the, the issue with he gets us is similar because, yes, Jesus loved people that we hate. I believe that. I agree with that. I think it's a good thing. But my problem is still me because I can know that and believe that and agree with that, but my problem is I don't want to love the people I hate. I want to hate the people I hate. That's what I want. In fact, loving my enemies is even more difficult than hitting a 200-yard six iron from a fairway bunker onto the green. Because not only do I lack the ability to do so, I lack the desire to do so. See, what if our problem, what if the gap between the life that we have and the life that we want between our life and the life that Jesus is inviting us into, what if it isn't ignorance? What if it's ability? What if it isn't effort? It's desire. What if the issue is not a lack of information? It's a lack of transformation. You see, this is what the way of Jesus is all about. It isn't about believing all the right things. It isn't about doctrine. It's not about ritual. It's certainly not about religion. It is about transformation. It is about transformation, getting our loves back in order, developing the ability and the desire to love. St. Augustine said to love the right thing in the right way at the right time in the right order. So how? How does the way of Jesus do that? Well, I teach um, PE now at Lakeshore High School, but for most of my career, I taught history and philosophy. And my classroom, when um, you would walk into my classroom, and I'll admit, I mean, I have looked great, okay? My wife did not love the way I decorated my classroom, but I, this is what it was, okay? I had basically wallpapered all four walls with quotes. I would, I would find these quotes that I just loved, and I would um, put them on eight and a half, eleven by uh, sheets of paper with some construction um, p 
paper background. I would laminate them, and I would just put them up all over my wall, like some of the most compelling and perplexing and fascinating ideas in human history, right there on my wall, okay? Just all over, right? Just leaving kids like a little bit, right? And all of these ideas, like I said, they were up on my wall on the, in these little posters about this size, size of one sheet of paper, all except one. There was one quote that I put on a huge banner. I mean, it was six feet wide, okay? And right above the whiteboard in the front of the classroom, so every day, every kid, as they looked at the front of the classroom, right above my head, behind me, was this quote. There is an immense difference between trying to do something and training to do something. Trying is about effort, which, of course, is very important. But training is about transformation. It is about ability and desire. And you have to have all three for life to live differently. Effort, desire, and ability. Last month, our very own Mike and Dylan Cook ran the Miami Marathon. I know, they were so great. It was so amazing. So um, we sent Bill and Stacy McGrain to Miami <laughs> to capture it on film. And okay, they just happened to be there. And we, we told them about it. And they were nice enough to go to the race and cheer them on. This is a picture of Dylan running the, the marathon. She did great. She's such a stud. She was amazing. Great, great job, Dylan. And, um, you know, they're looking for Mike, and unfortunately, I guess Mike struggled a little bit. They got a picture of him, too. <laughs> they're literally out of the country, so I get to do the, that. But uh, look, Mike and Dylan trained for months. They trained for months to run that race. If you know anyone who has ever done a marathon, then you know it takes an enormous amount of effort and training. My friend Brian ran marathons years ago, and I was like... He could never come out to play because he was always running. He was always training. So let's say on the day of the race last month, I decided, you know what, Mike, Dylan, I, I think I'm just going to join you. Like, I'm, I'm going to run the marathon with you. Now, it's a ridiculous notion, and we know it just instinctually. It wouldn't matter how hard I tried to run a marathon. I could not do it because I hadn't trained to do it. I might have all the information, I might believe the information is accurate. I might have a map of where we start and where we end. So I, might, I know where we're going. I know what the goal is. I have the right equipment. I have the right shoes. I have the whole deal. I could even have the sincere desire to do it. But because I hadn't transformed myself through training, no amount of effort or sincere intentions, no amount of information, no amount of believing the right thing, would have gotten me to the finish line. Why? Because there is an immense difference between trying to do something and training to do something. And the way of Jesus is about transformation. It is, it is about changing not only what we want to do with our lives, but also what we actually can do in our life. Now, I'll be the first to admit that many of the ways or practices of Jesus, much of the training that he's inviting us into, and so these are just, this is just a short list 
of some of the practices of gratitude or study, service, generosity, prayer, community. And there are others, okay? Some of them aren't very practical. Like they just don't seem to be that practical. Some of them are not that enjoyable, frankly. Some of them don't appear to be useful in and of themselves. I'll be the first to admit that. But here's the thing. That doesn't make them any less critical to engage in if we want to fully accept, completely embrace, and totally live out the invitation of Jesus to the abundant life, to having rightly ordered hearts and a, and a life that's functioning as it was made to function. I um, was reminded of that every year when I started my history class of how sometimes there's a disconnect between what we do for training and what real life looks like. Um, because I, the first day of my history class at Lakeshore High School, the kids would sit down before I took role, before I did anything, I would hold up the history textbook and I would, and I would say, I know what most of you are thinking. And you're right. Most of you will never use anything you learn in this class in real life, ever. I'm just admitting it from the beginning, day one. I was just being honest with them because I'm a history teacher and I'm telling you, that's the truth. And we all know it's the truth. But then I would add this, and it's absolutely essential that you learn it. And they would look confused. Now, as you might imagine, th this was always met with like lots of complaints and groaning, like why, Mr. Gethright, if you're gonna admit to us that we're never going to need this, we're never going to use this, why? Why are you teaching it? Why are we bothering to, to learn it? And so I made them this deal, day one of history class. If I can give you an example of something that almost all of you at one point or another have done, and many of you do multiple times a week, that you will never, like, ever use in real life. Something that's hard, painful, and difficult. It takes time, effort, and sacrifice. But still, you do it even though you will never use it in real life. If I can give you an example of that, will you join me in the way, in the practice of history? And of course, teenagers, I can see their mind turning, they're like, okay, well, what could he possibly be talking about? Like, yeah, we make that deal. Fine. I, I love teenagers. This is such a setup. They just walked right into it every semester, right? And so I would, you know, I'd look over the crowd. I don't know them yet, right? So I'd pick out the, the, the guy that's obviously on the football team. So it's the nose guard or the linebacker. Walks up to the front of the classroom, and I would ask him a simple question. You know, I'd ask him about himself a little bit, introduce yourself, this, that, and the other. And then I would ask this question, do you lift weights? Do you lift weights? Well, Courtney got all proud. Yeah, of course, lift weights. Look at me. What do you mean? Is there any question? Is there any doubt? One year, a kid even posed like for us, right? Well, and then I would ask him this question. Well, if you would please, please tell me if you have ever or if you will ever lift weights in a football game in real life. Dead silence. And they knew right there that I had them. Because we all know that in real life, there are things we cannot do until we do other things first. That's a truism. We get that all the time in so many aspects of life, but we don't often think about 
is that is there something about that with the spiritual life is there something that's true about that with the life of faith and there is football players lift weights it's difficult it's time consuming it's hard it can be even painful but they do this thing that they will never do ever do in a real life game so that there are other things that they can do in a real life game learning history is the same way students regardless of what they are learning it does not matter what they are learning are transforming themselves and their minds by learning it transformation is about developing our abilities and our desires it is about reordering what it is that we love. It is about prioritizing our priorities so that we have both the capability to do what needs to be done in real life when real life gets hard, when it gets difficult, when it gets complicated and painful. And not only that, that we possess the desire to actually do it. This is what the way of Jesus is all about. It is about finding our voice and having the ability and the desire to share that voice in a way that we know we were made to. Started out as a whisper, turned into a scream, made a beautiful noise, shoulder to shoulder, marching in the street. When you're all alone, it's a quiet breeze, but when you band together, it's a choir, thunder and rain. Now we have a choice, because I have a voice. I'm not living to die. Don't stand in a wasteland, look me in the eyes, stop living the lie, and stand up next to me. You gotta pour one foot in front of the other, hand in a hand, holding on to each other, go on and rejoice, cause you have a voice. It is loud, it is clear, it's stronger. It's believing you belong. It's recalling out the wrong. From the silence of my sisters to the violence of my brother, we can, we can rage against the river, feel the pain of another. I have a voice. I have a voice. And I let it speak for the ones who aren't yet running free. And it's killing me. No one is saying what we need to hear. I will not let silence win when I see all the pain our people are in. There's no other choice, because I have a voice. It is loud, it is clear, it's stronger than your fears. It's believing you belong, it's recalling out the to the lips of our daughters we can we can dream like our brothers speaking loud like our fathers 
boards, shoulder to shoulder marching in the streets. When you're alone, it's a quiet breeze, but when you band together, it's a choir of thunder and rain. Now we have a choice, cause I have a voice. Now we have a choice. Morgan and Michaela, thank you so much. Woo. Yeah, so good. So to follow Jesus is to believe you belong, and then, and I, I love this phrase, become his apprentice. Become his apprentice. Living this way creates a life where we actually have a choice, where, where we have both the ability and the desire to live lovingly, even in the most difficult circumstances, and, and regardless of what that looks like. Don't, now, don't miss this, okay? Because I know that this feels like I'm dropping a lot in our laps this morning. We, we don't adopt these practices. We don't take on these ways to earn something from God or to impress God. That is religion. Okay, and religion is our attempt to, believe it or not, like this is, this is what religion is, essentially. It's our attempt to do something in order to change God. We're out to change God's mind and heart about us, okay? But we take on the ways of Jesus. We follow in his path of grace in order to transform our minds and hearts about God we're the ones that are changing we want to be transformed we want our minds and hearts to change about God and his ways of living and loving so just because um, we're saying that these practices these ways are things for us to do don't hear that as you have to do these in order to get God to love you or accept you that's a condition that's already been met. That's already true. There's nothing we can do to get God on our side because God's already on our side. And the, and the question now is, what do we do? How do we respond to that in order to get ourselves on his? Okay? So what Jesus is doing is he's actually flipping religion on its head. He is reversing the course of life itself from what can I get to what can I give? That's what it's about. Now, parents, think about why you give your children chores, all right? Is it so you don't have to take out the garbage? Okay, well, that's a bad example, all right? <laughs> that one might be true, okay? But, but generally speaking, in principle, right, we give our children's chores for their sake, not ours, in fact, most parents know that you have to go back and redo the chores that they did because they didn't do them well or right. But wh so why are we giving them something to do for their transformation? They don't get it, okay? They, 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 they might like, think we're doing, they're doing us a favor 
But that's not what it's about. When Jimmy was about five or six years old, we were putting together Legos in his room, and it was so fun. And sometimes I even let him help. But Lisa, Lisa was in the kitchen, and, he called, and she called out to him, Jimmy, come and do the dishes, please. And he looked at me like she was crazy. And then he, yelled, he yells back to her, Mom, I've done that before. Like, he's, like it was on his bucket list, you know, check. Do dishes, check. Climb Kilimanjaro, check, you know. Anyways, so and Jimmy, Lisa yells back to him, Jimmy, it's your night to do the dishes. And he was disgusted. You know, he just stood up, he got up, and he's starting to walk out the room. And as he gets to the doorway, he turns back around and he says to me, what does she do all day? <laughs> Whoa, I, oh, I have no idea where he heard that. You, the kids, they say the darndest things, right? Oh my God, so glad she didn't hear him say that. Anyways, but these practices, right? The, 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 these practices, the ways of Jesus that we are going to be looking at the next month or so, some of them aren't fun. Some of them aren't easy. Some of them aren't comfortable. But they're good. And here's why they're good. They're good for us. They're good for us. We're not doing God any favors when we participate in the way of Jesus, when we take on some spiritual discipline in our life. It's not like God's like, oh, great, no, I don't have to do that. Whew, that is not what's happening. The, the spiritual practices, the ways of Jesus, they, Jesus has given those to us, and they are how Jesus is inviting us into transformation, into the life lived with our hearts in order. So that in real life, in our real everyday life, we can hit a six iron 200 yards out of a bunker. We can run a marathon. We can go the extra mile. We can give generously. We can accept the downtrodden. We will include the different. We can learn from our suffering. We will serve our fellow man. And even we can and we will love our enemies. Another way to think about all this and, and all of these practices and, and the way of Jesus, is that they're really aimed at one reality. And, and I promise you that when I say this, you're going to go, yep, that's true. But maybe we've never realized the implication of this truth in our life. How this reality dramatically and negatively impacts our lives. Okay? And it's this. Our strongest desires are not the same as our deepest desires our strongest desires are not the same as our deepest desires we know that is true maybe you've never thought about it before but you know it's true my deepest desire is to remain hopefully i was and hopefully i will continue to be if it was ever true a great father to my now young adult children that's my deepest desire. But often, when they're around, my strongest desire is for them to go away so I can hit next episode. 
right? My deepest desire is to give generously. But my strongest desire is to also, like, my TV is now two years old. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, 18 HD or whatever they have now, right? And the list goes on and on and on. My deepest desire is to live uh, a healthy life so I can serve and love people and be engaged to the best of my ability. My strongest desire is for ice cream three times a day. We are conflicted by this reality that our strongest desires and our, and our deepest desires are not the same. We're conflicted by this reality and it causes so much of the angst in our life. And we are not alone. One of Jesus' first followers, in fact, a man named Paul, in fact, he wrote most of the New Testament of the Bible, talked about this very reality. This is, this is how he describes it. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, I need something more. If the power of sin, or what we're calling disordered loves, within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. Decide to do good, but I can't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Now listen to this. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. That's so fascinating, isn't it? Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of disordered loves to something totally different. Bingo. At least for me. Like bullseye. Again, our strongest desires are not our deepest desires. So the way of Jesus is not ultimately, we are not trying to earn God's favor. It is not about doing these things so that God loves me or accepts me or forgives me. That's a done deal. It is about participating in these ways so that we will be transformed to do what we do. And here's why, okay? Because ultimately, what we do is a function of what we want, which is a function of what we desire, which is a function of what we love. And though we are free beings... To quote St. Augustine from my classroom wall, we're free to do what we want, 
but we are not free to love what we want. On Fridays in my philosophy class, I used to play um, a fear factor, and I spell them both the PH, it was so great, with the philosophy fear factor. And uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the games that we played is I would ask, who hates broccoli? And you know, the kids would raise their hand, and I'd go, for a million dollars, would you eat broccoli? Oh yeah, they would do it. And then I would say, for one billion dollars, would you eat broccoli, but you have to like it? Can't do it. You're free to do what you want to do. You're not free to love what we want. That's what ultimately has to be trans transformed. And for that to change, we must be changed, transformed from the inside out. Just imagine how beautiful life could be if what we want most right now, what we enjoy and desire right now, our strongest desires were the same as what we most want, enjoy, and desire ultimately, our deepest desires. What if our, our strongest desires and our deepest desires became one? There's a name for that kind of life. The Bible calls it the eternal life. Jesus says it is the abundant life. This is what the way of Jesus is all about. It's beyond believing, and it's certainly beyond even doing. And thank God it's not all up to us. It is, we're not in this alone. Transformation, like all the best things in life, is a team sport. We have each other, and God has promised, promised to carry us to the finish line.
So I, I wish so much that I could just hand out some WWJD bracelets this morning or some He Gets Us t-shirts and our problems would be solved. Like everything would be magically delicious and the world would be made anew. But because our problem is much deeper than that, the life of faith holds a possibility that's much higher than that. It's about what we want. It's about what we love. It's about what we desire and enjoy and our actual real-life ability to live that way, to live that out. And I hope that you'll join us this next month or so as we take a deeper dive into several of the ways of Jesus and strive together to be transformed into a people whose hearts and lives are back in order. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and for this opportunity to be together. We thank you that life is a team sport, that the life of faith is a team sport, that you are carrying us, you will carry us. And we thank you for this invitation to um, live the way that you want us to live for our sake. God, I pray that this week you would help us to um, move into our life with our eyes open our hands ready, our hearts broken to love and live the way that you do. I pray as we leave here this morning, you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.